that God we're all laughing with God. Turn in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter 5, 10. I think today could be a, a, a transforming day for people. Uh, I think today could be an amazing day for some people. It's a very simple truth. But very often when we ask for God's wisdom and we go to act it out, taking the steps to get there is not as easy as we think it'll be. And so what I want you to know is we're about to look at when you go into the crucible, here's why. When you go into the crucible because of something you've done, a lot of times we end up in that place of testing because we've done something we shouldn't have done. What do we do then? How does God take us? How does God use that to make us better? How do we come out better on the other side? That's the question. And uh, I want to show you the answer from Scripture today. I want you to see it. Again, we're going to have our verses come up when it's time for me to preach. And they'll be starting out today. They're going to go top to bottom. Next week, we're going to go middle to top. No, not really. Uh, but uh, top to bottom today. But I want to have you turn ahead, follow along, and be ready to dig in. But what it comes down to is this. Every one of us at different times in our life is going to have to do this thing called apologize. And you know what? Every one of us have done it a lot. Everybody in here, I, I won't even ask you to raise hands because if you don't raise your hand, then something's wrong with you. But, but how about, with all the practice we get at apologizing, why are people so poor at it? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever had a bad apology given to you? Have you ever had someone come and apologize and you're looking and thinking, I don't think you mean it. Or you just made it worse. Anybody had an apology just made it worse? You know? Uh, I, I want to tell you today, we're going to show some things to do scripturally to keep you from having that happen. And we want to have that occur in your life. One of the, the better apologies I've ever heard is uh, done by Taylor Swift in a song called Back to December. And I don't know the whole story on it because she on purpose isn't sharing everything about it. But what she did say is this. She said, I really, really hurt somebody. And I thought, you know what? I've got to take responsibility. I've got to own up to what I did. And she ended up writing a song that said, look, I'm sorry. So I want to hear you have, that, have you hear that today, and then we'll dig in together. Let's welcome Casey as she comes to share today with us.
Have you ever had to say you're sorry to somebody? Um, the other day, uh, actually about a month ago, I was having surgery, and I told some of you that I hate needles. I, I don't know if you're like me. I just, even the idea they're going to stick a needle in me. So I'm laying there uh, in the bed, and the different nurses and doctors are coming in, and in walks this just uh, really beautiful, gorgeous young girl, and she walks up to me with uh, someone behind her, and she said, um, hi, and she said her name, and she said, I'm a nurse in training for the anesthesiology department. I thought, really? Didn't know we trained that way. And they go, this is my supervisor. And she goes, if you don't mind, now I'm going to be inserting the needle. Well, she stuck me and it didn't work. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. Is it okay if I do it again? She stuck me again. Oh, I am so sorry. Is it okay if I do it again? I'm looking, thinking, oh my gosh. She pulls out that huge needle, goes, I'm sorry. And boom, I thought, go ahead, just start sticking. And uh, I don't know how many times it took to me. It felt like forever. She really meant the apology. It didn't help. She just kept pricking, you know. And uh, you have times like that in your life that you have to do it. She was a sweet girl and it ended up being great. We've been in a series called The Crucible. And uh, the Bible talks about The Crucible. It uses the word quite a bit, actually. And it's the idea that we're put into a place where God wants to perfect and purify us. 
Now, now the idea of the word comes from a crucible is where you would put precious metal and heat it so it's molten hot. And then that way, the impurities would rise and you could scrape them away. And, and after that time of heating, what you're left with is something precious and incredible. God has that for us. That's what God's talking about when he uses trials or persecution or times of testing in our life. And things get kind of heated up around us. How do we respond to that? 1 Timothy 5.10, or 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5.10 is uh, where I want you to look. Look what it says. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, I want you to grab that the idea of this is about purification and, and perfection, perfecting us, making us better. And it says that after a while, it's not going to last forever, but after a while, God of all grace, this is a grace thing God does, will himself, he will personally put his hands upon you. Why? Look what it says. To perfect us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. Four things God says will come out of this. In other words, we're going to be better. Uh, Dr. Harry Ironside taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, and it's a graduate school for people who want to be pastors. Wrote some amazing commentaries. But a young grad student went to him one day and said, Dr. Ironside, he said, I really desire with all my heart to be Christ-like. I want to be everything that Jesus would want me to be. Would you pray that for me? And Dr. Ironside said, yeah, let's just do it. He goes, get on our knees. And he put his arms around this young guy on his knees, and he said, Lord, I pray that this man's prayer would be answered. So God, I pray that what you're going to do is you're going to bring him into times of trial like he's never had before. I pray everything in life that he values will start to fall apart. I pray that he's going to come to an end of himself and not know what to do and only have one place to look and that's up. I pray that thing after thing is going to go wrong in his life. And the guy's looking at him like, what are you praying? And Dr. Iron said, said, do you want to be right with Christ? If you want to grow in Christ, it's the only way. And then he put his arm, God, he doesn't realize how much he needs this. I pray more than ever, Lord. Take him into the fire. Take him into the flame. Take him. And this guy's like shaking. Uh, about a month later, Dr. Ironside's walking across the quad at Dallas. He looks over and sees the young guy. He says, how you doing? The guy said, well, your prayer worked. <laughs> you know, there's almost no other way to get there. There really isn't. You know what? It's God loves you and cares about you and he'll cleanse you from your sins in a moment. But Christ-like perfection that's going to come in our life is going to come as we pick up a cross and follow him. By the way, we need to not only understand it's a place of purifying and perfection, it's a place of privilege. It's a place of privilege. Paul said this in Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul said, I went through it. You're going to go through it. It's a privilege that we get to do this. And so we need to see it that way because why God does test us. Proverbs 17, verse 3. Proverbs 17, 3 says, the refining pot. And by the way, that's the Hebrew word for crucible. Some of the even translations have that. The refining pot or the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold but the Lord tests the hearts. He does use it as a time of testing in our life. Now, just by way of review, so we're all caught up, we saw a few weeks ago that Abraham was tested by God. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was tested in two ways. One, God tested him by saying go, and he had to go where God wanted him to go, and he did. He went right where God wanted him to go, and then he went to a place where it was a, not easy always in the beginning, but he went through some purification and testing. The other thing he was tested in was give. 
He had to give to God. He had to give his most precious, loved possession to God, his son, Isaac. God said, if you really love me, you got to give. So anybody who is following the Lord must go and must give at times in their life. That's two ways that God tests us. But I want to remind you what we looked at last week. You're never alone in this. In Daniel chapter 3, we saw that three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into a fire of testing because of their conviction. They stood for Christ, they stood for God, and they were tested through it. And you know what? In the midst of it all, Jesus was right there in their midst. And that's what I want you to not miss. He's always with you. So now we bring it to this point today. The trial has come. Either because God has personally said it's time to go or give, or God has, has said this is time for purification, or your own convictions threw you into it, or are you ready for this? You messed up, or I messed up. We may have sinned, not only against God, but against other people. And in the midst of that, what do we do? Well, I want to have you center on, on two things about this. Number one, in James chapter one, we ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom. In James 1, verses 2 to 8, it says this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The Lord says, when you're in a time of testing and you don't know what to do, you ready for this? That's a great place to be. Uh, I very often have people stop me and say, Chuck, I, I have this issue in my life. And they say, you know, they share it with me and then they look and say, what do I do? And I want to tell you the majority of times, that, and I mean this, the majority of times I look them in the eye and say, I have no clue what you should do. I'm probably not going to be a lot of help. But what I can do is this. I can pray that God will show you. And if you and I pray believing that, we pray at really trusting God that he's going to give you wisdom about what to do, and you pray it and believe it and look to him, I promise you, you'll get it. And I know that's true in my own life. I know it's true from scripture. And I know it's true from talking to many, many other people. And, and I don't want you to ever feel like, by the way, if you come up to me or one of our other pastors and you, you say, here's, what do I do? And you go, well, they didn't help me. I'll tell you, there's nothing better. I mean this, there's nothing better than to ask God directly, what do I do? He promises to show you. He promises to guide you. He promises to be there with you. And, and God's desire is that you and I would do that. And it's interesting how it says this in verse five. Look again. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, first of all, who gives to all generously. Notice it didn't say he gives to some. If you ask and really believe and seek him, he will generously give you wisdom to know what to do. He will show you the next step to take. How about this though? And he does it without reproach. H have you ever like, totally blown it and you went to someone and said can you help me and they're like now you ask well I knew you'd get yourself into that okay you know what you deserve what that's reproach did you know when you go to God God's not going to go well you deserve what you have God's not going to say how could you he already knows how you could God's not going to go well finally you're praying to me you didn't pray to me three weeks ago did you know that's not how he treats you when you, let's say you haven't been praying that well, and, and, and that's, you know, clearly prayer's awesome. 
but you haven't, and all of a sudden a huge trial hits, there's a temptation for some who goes, well, should I pray to God now? Here's the answer, ready? Yes. He's not gonna go, finally. He's gonna go, finally. Finally, we're talking. Finally, we're together. By the way, I know this to be true for me. I think at times when my prayer life gets weak, the Lord says, oh, get ready. <laughs> I'll take you into a trial. You'll start praying. You know, and, uh, but he wants us to. He does it generously and without reproach. And we need to understand that's how he works. But what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you put yourself in that position? And by the way, see, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they didn't do anything wrong, and their trial hit them. Abraham didn't do anything wrong, and God put him into trial and testing. But what happens when you do something wrong? What happens when you blow it? You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to run to him and not from him. He wants you to run and, and, and get his comfort and get his love, and by the way, get the cleansing you need. He wants to remove the guilt from you and begin to cause you to live a life that makes you better, taking even the failing you had in that moment and causing it to work to good and causing it to work to his glory. God does that. It's an amazing thing when we understand how he does something so radical, something so incredible. You know, uh, uh, if Liam uh, uh, were to be playing next to a light socket, I can promise you this, I would be telling him, you know, electrical plug. I would say, Liam, don't do that. But if he hurt himself on it, I don't want him to go, oh, now I'm in trouble, run from me. I want him to run to me. I want to take him in my arms. I want to comfort him. I want to help him be okay. I may want to do some course correction for him. But the bottom line is the last thing I want him to do when he gets hurt is to run away from me. I want him in my arms. And God wants that for you. So when you blow it, what does God want you to do? First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, now catch this, from all unrighteousness. I just get so intrigued with that word all. He gives to all generously. He gives to all without reproach. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God's great desire is that that's what would be happening in our life is he loves and cares for you. And when you come to him and say, Lord, I blew it, he says, that's why I died on the cross for you. I don't know if you're intrigued by this, but I am. So I'm going to tell you something that intrigues me. That even now that I have the Holy Spirit, I still sin. I mean, I, I, can you imagine? I, I can't even imagine trying to make it without the Holy Spirit. But even with the Holy Spirit, I still blow it. And you know what? The Lord looks at me and loves me and cares for me anyway, without reproach. And he does that for you too. And, and so we all share in that. So when we sin, when we mess up, the first thing we do is we go to God and say, God, forgive me. And we get honest about what we've done. Now, here's the next thing. You ready? If what you've done affects somebody else, you need to go to them. And, and I want to really center on that today because the Lord promised if you and I ask him, okay, what do I do? I've messed up. What do I do? God promises to tell you what to do. Well, a lot of the, the direction comes right out of Scripture. And Jesus tells us what happens when you know you've hurt somebody, when you've messed up. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, and hopefully you've gotten there ahead of time. Matthew 5, 21 to 24. Don't miss this. This is powerful. Jesus said, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fire of hell. 
Now, there's three ways someone's messed up here. We won't get into those. Three things they've done to hurt somebody else. Jesus said, you know what? You're responsible for all of them. You're responsible. If you've said mean things to someone, if you've literally taken somebody to the point that you've made them feel like they're a good-for-nothing person, you've just eradicated all their self-image by demeaning them in some way, if you've killed them, he said, you know what? You've got to take ownership of that. You can't just not understand there's responsibility here. Verse 23. Therefore, If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, I don't know if you catch how big a deal this is. God says, I want to tell you something. If you come into our our church service to worship me and you remember there's a problem you have with someone else, I want you to go. It's more important. Now, here's the key. More important than worshiping God more important than giving to God that you go and take responsibility with the person that you've hurt. You need to go to them. You need to go. And you need to be the first one to go. Now, I want you to think this through with me. Whenever there's been someone who's blown it, if you have to go to them and confront the issue, doesn't it make it harder to bring healing? But if they come to you first, it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, in ministry at times, we've had to, it. you know, someone has messed up. And when we have to hunt them down, the, the, the restoration process is harder because we don't know how truly repentant they are. But if they come and, and confess first, if they come and said, I did this and I want to come to you because I've blown it. I, and that, that makes it far easier to cause redemption to come. It says a lot more about who you and I are. So the Lord says this, don't try to keep it hidden. Don't try to step back and pretend it's not there. Don't start practicing a denial of the moment. When you know you've hurt somebody, you go to them. You go to seek reconciliation. You go to do this. Now, the problem we face today is most people are really poor at doing it. Uh, that's why I even brought it up earlier. But John Cador, uh, in a book called The Effective Apology, he's done a lot of studying over what's an effective and an ineffective apology, said this. He goes, why are we so bad at this? I mean, from the time we were little, we've had to apologize. Why is it we're so, I mean, with all the practice we get apologizing, you think we'd get good at it. But the average person isn't good at it. As a matter of fact, many people try to do everything they can not to. One reason people struggle with apologizing is they've come from a very dysfunctional home. You know, when you're in a dysfunctional home and you look at your mom and dad and say, I'm sorry, and what do they do very often in a dysfunctional home? They turn that on you. They use that as a weapon against you. And you start being taught by them at a very young age, the minute you admit something, they'll never let you off. Some of you have had parents like that. They always kept bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And it's like, stop. And the minute you even do something good, they're like, yeah, you did that good. But remember when? And after a while, you're like, I can never say that to them. If I expose myself to them and be honest that I blew it, they're going to tear me apart. And some of you have been experiencing that kind of verbal abuse and you came out of it and it's hard to get those kind of words and thoughts out of your head. As a matter of fact, I know there are many of you here today that those words echo in your mind even though you've tried to disassociate yourself from the person who did it. People in dysfunctional homes, because they become a target of abuse, they have a difficult time apologizing People who come from dysfunctional homes have a difficult time because they've never seen it modeled correctly. They never have. 
By the way, I want to say a really good parent is at some point going to pull their child aside, look them in the eye and say, I am so sorry. I know I'm your mom or I know I'm your dad, but I blew it. You didn't deserve that from me. And you know what? God called me to have a higher calling in my life for you than this. And I want to tell you, I could not have been more wrong than what I did. Uh, It may be, by the way, a parent, you may need to say it this way. You know what? I could not have been more wrong in the way I did it. I may have had the best intentions, but my attitude, the Bible's clear, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. There's no excusing me as a parent acting that way towards you. And that's huge. And you start modeling that to your children that you're not afraid to tell them when you're wrong. Uh, Not everyone agrees with this, but Pam and I, when we were raising our sons, practiced what we called the right of appeal. Uh, In other words, you know what, is if I was a little too rough on them, they could go to Pam and say, hey, I don't think dad was fair. And then they would explain to her why. And then she would take them and come to me. And by the way, when they walked in the door together, I knew I was in trouble. Um, <laughs> and, and she would have them literally confront me. Not, not disrespectfully, but look at me and say, dad, I think you're wrong because. And I would look over at Pam and say, what's your side of it? And we would talk about it. By the way, I think that's a wonderful thing to teach your children that you can come together to talk those things through. And uh, you know what, I, I don't know, some of you go, no, I'm the parent, and if I say it, it goes. Well, okay, that's okay for you, but I gotta tell you why it doesn't work for me, because I mess up too much, and I'm not perfect. So I can't live like that. And I wanna teach the people around me, they can say to me, hey, you were wrong, and I can take it. And, and, and I can honestly own up to it when that's the case. And you know what, is is. We're so poor at this so often, and so many people have never had a good apology modeled before them. And, and, and the, another reason we have a hard time with this, when you honestly and do it effectively, apologize correctly, you're opening yourself up uh, in a way that maybe never you have before. You're exposing you're not perfect. You're exposing you have weakness. You're exposing you're human. You know, it's amazing how we don't want to be human sometimes, but we're exposing it. I love what John Cador stated in his book, The Effective Apology. He goes, apologies unmask all the hopes, desires, and uncertainties that make us human because at the moment of a genuine apology, we confront our humanity most. At the point of apology, we strip off a mask and face our limitations. He goes, no wonder we hesitate because now you're unmasked. Now you're bare. Now who you are is standing there either before your spouse or before your boss or before a coworker, a family member, a friend or your child. You're standing there revealing you. And in that moment, by the way, you can get hurt. You're probably already hurting, but you can get hurt worse. And the danger of it's there. But I want to tell you, it's a greater danger to run from it. And we need to be willing to do it. It's a crucible moment for us when we blow it. Are we going to take responsibility? Now, I know that seems so simple, but I want to say it again. It's a crucible moment for us. Are we going to take responsibility? To apologize effectively, to be reconciled in a relationship, you must take responsibility. I must take responsibility. And I need to do that showing humility. Following the way of Jesus and the wisdom that God has directed in his word that I go to people and humble myself before them and ask for their forgiveness and get honest about what I've done. And God's great desire is that we do that. Uh, This may be a determining factor, by the way, to your success in life. 
Uh, I, I don't know uh, if you're aware of it, but studies have shown that men are actually poorer at apologizing than women. I know some of the women go, I knew it. But, uh, but that's true. But here's something else they found. Are you ready? The studies that have been done, not, and um, some of them are pretty recent, have found that people who are more successful in life are better at apologizing than those who are not. Now you might say, well, what is the, the version of most success? Whether we agree or not, according to the study, they used economic uh, uh, standards. People who earn more money tend to be far better at apologizing than those who earn less money. I think that's very intriguing. As a matter of fact, it says people who say I'm sorry tend to make more money than those who do not. People who earn over $100,000 a year are twice as likely to apologize as those who earn $25,000 or less. I think this is interesting. It turns out, according to the study, it turns out that a person's willingness to apologize is almost a perfect predictor of the person's place on the economic income ladder. In other words, the willingness to apologize, they found by doing kind of a blind test, when they found out people were willing to do it, they, they would say, okay, that person's gonna make more money, and they were almost right on every single time and how much more money they were making based on their willingness to apologize. I think that's interesting. Now, you might go, okay, why would that even be brought up at church? Here's why. Because God wants us to be people of truth, people of humility, and people who take responsibility. Now, you ready for this? When you use God's wisdom, it works whether you're a Christian or not. Now, it's far better if you're a Christian. But, but guess what this is saying? If you take what God teaches in his word and apply it in your life, you will actually be more successful in life. It just makes sense. They said this, um, interestingly, 92% of those earning more than $100,000 a year apologize when they believe they're to blame. Among the survey respondents who make $25,000 a year or less, only 52% apologize when they know they're at fault and they tend to do it poorly. It says, even when they believe themselves to be completely blameless. In other words, you really don't think you're at fault, but there's a problem there. It says 22% of the highest earners are willing to say, I'm sorry, just to get beyond it and to find a way through it. Because now you might say, well, is that right to do? But it's because they value the relationship more than the moment. It's a big deal. And so many times we find people in trouble. And God's desire is that you and I would understand it works. By the way, it doesn't just work for people, it works for companies. I was intrigued by this Toro lawnmower company, uh, uh, did this. They decided uh, five years ago to adopt a policy of apologizing. Now, in a time of litigation, I want to ask you, does that seem like a wise thing to do? That you contact someone and say, I'm so sorry you got hurt. I I wished it hadn't happened. If we're at fault, we want to take care. Does that sound like a smart thing to do in a time of being sued? You ready for this? They found this. The average cost of settling a claim went from $115,000 down to $35,000, and they had a dramatic drop-off in those who sued them, period. Uh, In 2000, in the year 2000, the Veterans Administration Hospital in Lexington, Massachusetts, adopted a policy of apologizing when they made a mistake, even when there was no request for claim made. Now, let's go back and make sure I say this correctly. This is a hospital. When a hospital has done something wrong, they adopted a policy of going to the person they had made a mistake with and actually taking responsibility and apologizing. Now think about what that does. You've admitted you're wrong. Now you're going to have to go to court against the person you've admitted you're wrong to. Now I would say that most of you would agree the majority of hospitals have a policy not to admit they're wrong. 
Now, does it work to admit you're wrong? That's the question. And do enact the idea of going to the person first, actually seeking them out. They decided not only to do that to people who were about to sue, they just decided to make it a policy period. When a doctor or a nurse or an employee did something in error in the hospital, they would be the first one to approach that person. And here's what happened. The average Veterans Administration hospital claim throughout the United States is an average of $413,000. So for every claim, that's filed against the average Veterans Administration Hospital, they actually have to pay out $413,000. Starting in the year 2000, the Veteran Administration Hospital in Lexington, Massachusetts, now their average payout is $36,000. I don't know if you realize how big that is. You might say, okay, I don't even get, why are you bringing this up? Here's why. Because when you do what God says, it works. And you might say, is this about money? No, it's about something more. It's about relationships. Why are there so many broken families today? I bet you can point back to somebody who wouldn't take responsibility and go and say, I'm sorry. And, and, or, or, or why are there so many problems at work today? Because this person's sitting over here and they've never taken responsibility for what they've done. And Jesus said, I want to tell you, even if you're coming to worship, it's more important for you to go and do it. Well, definitely more important than the moment of job or or the moment uh, that you're in a family gathering. He says, I want you to take the opportunity to go and to try to make it right. Though following the ways of Jesus works. But to do it correctly, we have to enact some principles that God's word tells us. Number one, you can't come in pride. The Bible says even God is opposed for the prideful. But he gives grace to the humble. First Peter chapter 5 tells us that. So you've got to lay down your pride. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to take responsibility. You know, uh, uh, most apologies that go bad go bad because the person just doesn't want to own up to what they did. Or they want to, they want to make themselves, they want to justify themselves and make themselves sound right. Or they want to make an excuse rather than just standing there and saying, look, I blew it. Here's what I did wrong. And by the way, to do a great apology and to humble yourself correctly, you've got to say what you did wrong. I can't tell you the number of times before I entered my position now that I would have couples in my office. We don't do that anymore in my office. The other pastors do it. But I can't tell you the number of times that I'd have a couple sitting there and the husband would turn to the wife and say, okay, I'm sorry. And she, she would look at him. And he would go, well, I said, I'm sorry. What more do you want? And I sat there looking, thinking, a lot more than this man. Those words, I'm sorry, if it's not attached to taking responsibility, are meaningless. Now, when you think about that, I'm sorry without taking responsibility, there's no meaning to it. If you're going to do it correctly, you've got to truly humble yourself. To humble yourself means you have to admit your fault and not to try to defend yourself in it. And that's what the idea of humility is. That's what the idea of humbleness is. Is that we would look and say, I'm sorry because I did this and I know it hurt you. Even better, I know it hurt you because. And I don't want to excuse myself anymore. I don't want to do anything. And you know what? You didn't deserve that. Matter of fact, you get ready. I'm not asking you to quote me, but one time I blew it pretty badly and I'm not going to share what it was, not for my own sake, but for the other person's. But I'll never forget I had to go hunt them down. They didn't want to take my call. I knew an email wouldn't do it. I was praying, God, I blew it bad. I need to look them in the eye. And all of a sudden, I'm in a place where the last place where I probably expected to see them, and there they were. And I said, hey, can we talk? I said, this probably isn't the time if we could just set a time. And then finally, the person looked at me and said, oh, let's just do it now and get it over with. They were just probably tired of the phone calls. So we 
we got aside, got alone, and I looked him in the eye. And I said, there is no excusing what I did. I said, you didn't deserve it. And I want to tell you, no one deserves how I acted towards you. Nobody. And uh, I, uh, I can't make any excuses. I know when I said this and did this, now I look and I see what it did to you. And it's just not okay with me. I know it's not okay with you. And I just want you to know that. And I hope I'll do better. I hope I'll never do that again to anyone else. I am so sorry that it was done to you. And I'll never forget watching this very stoned face look at me, bigger person than me. I thought I'm about to get hit. And I deserve it. Start to crumble. And I'll never forget the moment he looked at me and said, you know, that means a lot. And, uh, I guess with all the times in my life I've done things to hurt people, I've got to let you off too. And I said, well, you know what? I want you to know that I appreciate that. I really do. But I mean it. I mean it. I'm so sorry. And I was wrong. Now, now to be honest, when I look back at the situation, you, re- you know my temptation. My temptation was to walk and say, okay, I blew it, but you did this. If you, if, I want to say, the, if you ever go, I blew it, but you did this, you've just ruined your apology, right? Well, I blew it, but did you know what was going on in my life? By the way, uh, I want to say this. I, I, in reading the book by John Cadore, The Effective Apology, I'm going to agree with something he said. When we apologize, we are seeking and hoping for true forgiveness. But he says it's not right to ask for it. When I read that, I was like, you know, that's right. That's right. If I go and I apologize to someone and I say, I am so sorry, will you forgive me? Guess what I, who I make it about? Who's it about at that moment? Me. But if I'm doing what Jesus said, going to them, notice that Jesus said, you go to them and seek to be reconciled. He doesn't say, you go to them and seek to be let off. You go to them and seek to be, you know, cleansed from. He says, you go and you face up to it and seek reconciliation. I think Kador is right. If they choose to forgive you, man, what a gift. But if you say, will you forgive me? Well, you're making the moment about you and that's not what it's about. True humility says, you know what? I, I don't know that I deserve to be forgiven. But I just want you to know I've learned I've learned something about me I don't like. I've learned something about the situation I never want to do again. I, I just don't, you didn't deserve that. And uh, I don't ever, ever want to be that kind of person again. And I'm so sorry I was to you. And if I throw out the word, so will you forgive me? All of a sudden that just takes it all away. I have learned over the years, the majority of people do forgive. But that's not why you're going. You're going to be honest. You're going to take responsibility. You're going to to see God make that difference in our life. And that's what we need to do. Cain, and I don't, I want to make sure you grab what's going on here. Genesis chapter four. Cain uh, had, had just gotten so angry at Abel, he couldn't stand it, but he was at fault. It was his own pride. Abel did nothing. The right thing for him to do was say, God, I am so sorry for my pridefulness and what's happened. I praise God for Abel being lifted up and, and to go to Abel and say, I'm sorry in the moment of your greatest joy and triumph so far in your life. I would act the way. He didn't do that. And it says this uh, in, starting in verse uh, one, it says, now the, 
the man, Adam, had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time, and the word course of time is literally a, a Hebrew word that means at a particular point in time, in other words, it was supposed to happen, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first things of the flock of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He is just so focused on self. So angry, so upset. He's so mad. And it's all him. And he's not ready to humble himself. It's all pride eating at him. Notice what God says here whenever pride starts welling up. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well. By the way, if you do well when you've sinned, if you do well when you're prideful, if you do well when you've blown it towards someone else, if you do the right thing, and Jesus said when we've blown it to someone else, go to them. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Then don't miss this last phrase. But you must master it. God said, I have given you an amazing gift. You can do the right thing. I've given you an amazing gift. You don't have to continue in sin. I've given you an amazing gift. You don't even have to sin. I've given you a gift of free choice. And if you choose to follow my ways, if you choose to do what's right, he says, your countenance will be lifted up, meaning you are going to live a life where you walk tall and you are free and you're not burdened, and you're not weighed down, and it's not upon you. Guilt can be taken from you. Uh, Agony and pain can be healed within you. And joy can always be yours, if you would do well. And if you master it. God looked at Cain and said, you have a choice here. You can do the right thing. So many times I think the Lord looks at us and says, you've got this problemed relationship. If you do well, won't it be solved? If you do well, won't you be set free? If you do well by going to them, he said, you can master this. It doesn't have to own you. It doesn't have to dictate your life anymore if you do well. Now, remember, God said when you and I blow it, there's two things we do. One is we start by going to him. And the next thing we do is go to anybody else there's a problem. Whether you know it or not, if you're brand new to all this, the Bible teaches when you and I sin, that we've actually sinned against God. We've sinned against who he made us to be. We've sinned again uh, against the holiness that's there. So we owe going to God and saying, forgive me. That's why, by the way, Jesus died on the cross so that we might be forgiven. And today, if you're here today and you've never said to God, I mean, really said it in a minute, God, forgive me. You need to. You really need to. You need to humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm not even sure why I would hang on to these things but I want your forgiveness. You might say, how do I do that? Well, the answer is just what I said. You pray, you say it to him. Matter of fact, the first step in coming into a relationship with him is that, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd forgive me of my sins. And you know what God says the minute you say it, Mina? He says, I will. And the Bible promises to take your sins and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. He wants you to be literally set free from it. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's not going to hold it over you. He wants to remove it from you. 
And today, if you've never had that happen with the Lord, if you've never been set free from it, no matter how vile you think the sin is, the blood of Christ is way more powerful. If you've never had that happen, I want to encourage you today to open up to him and to say, I want your forgiveness. I want your life. It's the first step in coming to him. Today, if you're sitting here and you've never actually been close to the Lord in a very intimate, personal relationship, I want to invite you to do it by praying this with us. Today, if you're a Christian and you've fallen away, I want you to know God wants you back. And I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with us too. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that we be people who are really good at humbling ourselves before you and taking responsibility. Knowing, Lord, that you're going to love us. You're never going to turn your back to us. Matter of fact, you're going to draw us closer than ever in those moments. I pray, Lord, we'd also be people who have enough courage and enough faith and faithfulness that we would go to anybody else we've wronged. And God, we would talk to them face to face and we would take responsibility. And Lord, I pray that we would do that trusting the outcome in your hands. Knowing, Lord, that your spirit's gonna be there in the midst of any time we do something like that. And I thank you, God, that the majority of times in my life, I've seen amazing reconciliation occur. So I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would cause us to be a church family who has enough commitment and desire that when we enter a crucible moment like that, we would say yes to you. Lord, I want to pray today that your Holy Spirit would touch people. I want to pray today, oh Lord God, that if there's someone here who needs to commit their life to you or recommit, that Lord, right now you would touch them. If it's someone who needs forgiveness, They've got so much guilt, they just need to be set free. God, I pray right now they would just let you take the guilt from them and the burden from them. If it's someone who's a Christian, Lord, and they've wandered, they, deep down they've done some things they never should have done. God, I pray right now they would, they would just let you take them and love them and cleanse them and, from all unrighteousness and they could be set free. Father, today, if it's someone who's hurt somebody and the first step really is to come to you right now, I pray they would do it. So I pray, oh Lord God, that you would begin to just touch people here. Father, there may be someone right now who's sitting with the person they hurt. And it's never been dealt with and it's never been healed. But Lord, I pray right now when they call upon you and they ask for your forgiveness first, that you're gonna cause this to be the beginning of the restoring of a relationship. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, I wanna ask you to pray with me. For anybody right now who needs to make this decision, but right now, if you're ready to say yes to God, you want to either come to him for the first time or you want to recommit your life, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper a prayer with me. It's the first step in the process. Today, if you've got a problem with someone and you need to recommit because of that, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Today, if you've got deep pain in your heart over some things you've done, I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer. And my hope is that God's going to heal you like you can't imagine. Make you feel clean and free. So let's pray this together to the Lord. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to free me from my fear. Lord, you died to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. 
Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.